Welcome to Hire It Advisor, the Baker Tilly podcast dedicated to providing insightful guidance and leading practices for college, university, and research institution leaders and board members, experts and thought leaders in higher education finance, institutional operations, collegiate athletics and esports, health and wellness, data analytics, and more. Join our podcast host, higher education practice leader Dave Capitano for bi-weekly episodes to discuss the latest news in higher education and the impact these trends and changes have on the industry. This is where you come to learn what's really going on behind the scenes at colleges and universities across the country. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Higher Ed Advisor podcast series. My name is Dave Capitano. I'm a partner with Baker Tilly, and I head up our higher education practice. I'm here today with Dan Cordell, managing partner of Nations Ventures and the outgoing chair of the Board of Trustees of Wilkes University. And we're here to talk about a very popular topic that we're hearing about a lot with our colleges and universities, and that's esports. And more particularly about esports, about why it's so popular, uh, how it's gaining momentum, and particularly how schools are making a decision to implement it as part of their programs particularly in light of some of the other things that we're seeing out there in the current environment where some of our more traditional sporting programs are actually being cut from their programs. So Dan, we wanna talk a little bit about not only what uh, esports is all about, how it's getting momentum in the industry, but how colleges and universities are going about kind of uh, thinking about how putting it in their programs as well. So. Welcome, Dan. We appreciate your time today. Uh, why don't you take a couple of minutes and just tell the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got involved with esports. Hi, Dave. Uh, happy to be here. Uh, my background is primarily in quantitative finance and investment management, but I've been involved with higher ed for a long time. I actually started teaching investment classes at the University of Pittsburgh back in the 80s, and then after a stint on Wall Street, I uh, taught in the, uh, at the University of Illinois at Chicago in the MBA program. I recently have served as chairman of the board of trustees at Wilkes University for the past six years. So very familiar with the challenges of higher ed, especially those of small liberal arts colleges without a large endowment. I've more recently been involved in esports the last few years as an investor and an advisor to startup companies. I wouldn't describe myself as a, a gamer, but uh, I've learned a lot about this rapidly developing gaming industry, which is still very much in the Wild West state. So, so Dan, you're, you're telling us you're not much of a gamer, but I know you're no stranger to competitive sports. So, you know, before we dive into the topic, tell us, listeners a little bit about your background, particularly with regards to running marathons. Well, Dave, one of my hobbies actually is, is running marathons, and uh, I recently completed a long-term goal of running a marathon under four hours in all 50 states. I, I can tell you that uh, I've had a few near misses, and you can imagine the disappointment when you finish a race at uh, four hours and 15 seconds and realize you've got to come back and do it all again. So I did actually have a race in Colorado at altitude where I finished at three hours, 59 minutes and 59 seconds. So um, even though, you know, really you're just racing against yourself, there's a lot of satisfaction in the competition. 
Well, uh, and that, that is clearly impressive on a lot of different levels. So uh, we'll, if we get, we get more into the conversation and we could get back to that topic, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. But let's get started on eSports. So um, eSports has gained a lot of attention over the past uh, five years or so. Um, and we know it's relatively new with regards to its infancy as an industry. Um, but when we look at the picture today, you know, some of the stats that I'm looking at, you know, nearly 200 U.S. colleges are offering around 15 million, I mean, you know, millions of dollars in scholarships to esports elite. And there's more than 475 esports clubs on college campuses. And the National Association of Collegiate Esports, NACE, boasts more than 3,000 student athletes and 130 member schools with varsity esports teams. And I guess that's just the tip of the iceberg. So my biggest question to you, Dan, I mean, is this just a fad or is esports a, a bona fide industry? Well, first of all, I'd like to discuss the difference between gaming and esports. Everybody plays games on their phones, computers, consoles. Esports is the competitive end of gaming. Uh, when we think about gaming, it's not just about the games. It's about people and community. People like to play games together. Right now, the gaming industry is bigger than all of music and film put together. When you look at total worldwide revenues of 148 billion, there are currently 2.6 billion video game players worldwide. And this is only accelerated during the pandemic as people have had to spend more time at home and in lockdown. And it is one of the many trends that uh, were already in progress. COVID just accelerated the pace of adoption. So. Uh, gaming is and esports is big. It's only getting bigger. Uh, the year-over-year -year growth figures are outdistancing all traditional sports by a wide margin. And, and the demographics are skewed towards a younger audience that spends less time watching TV and more time on their phones and computers. All right. So, so very powerful information. It, it's certainly not going away. We see it gaining a lot of momentum. And I guess you know you put your money where your mouth is. Uh, you're personally investing in esports. So I think that's critical for our, our listeners to understand why you're taking your hard dollars and putting it in this. So elaborate a little bit for me on that. Well, most of my career has been involved in investment management, publicly traded securities, but uh, we recently launched a venture capital fund focused exclusively on esports and gaming technology. As an investment manager, you're always looking for the next big thing. And I've been involved recently with some of the areas that I believe might fit that description. Things like autonomous driving, cryptocurrency, blockchain, legalized cannabis, artificial intelligence. But I think we're seeing a once in a lifetime opportunity with esports, which is really at the very early stages of development and this huge potential. This is a worldwide phenomenon that really hasn't entered the mainstream yet. All right. So where are all these skilled players, these gamers coming from? Where do, where do they gain this talent? And, you know, we'll probably dive in a little bit further along in the conversation, you know, how colleges, universities are making sure they're playing a critical part in producing that talent. But for now, you know, where is this talent coming from and how do, how do they get into industry? What, what type of jobs are out there? I mean, what, what, what does this all look like at the end of the day from an e-commerce standpoint? Well, when you think about it, Dave, the, the advancement of technology has been a key driver to the evolution of the industry. You have cheaper memory, faster internet, increasing computational power. 
today, students are very tech savvy and they grow up playing video games. It's, but it's not only about technology, it's part of their social structure. It's only natural that they will continue to play during college, thus the importance of developing esports leagues across higher ed. So they grew up with it. They, you know, they it becomes part of their their being, part of their 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 culture. They, you know, and they bring it into the college atmosphere. So that's great. You're sitting in your dorm rooms. You're playing playing these different esports. So why does the college get involved? Why why do they start looking at this and putting in infrastructure to support it? Well, as I mentioned, esports is a worldwide phenomenon, but, but many people at higher ed are asking whether this is right for colleges and universities. So I think the three reasons why I personally think esports is a perfect fit for university. First of all, it's inexpensive. Secondly, it's inclusive. And third, it's inevitable. I'll touch on each of these points. First of all, it's, it's inexpensive. There's no locker rooms, no reserving field times, no athletic trainers. You can be up and running without much investment. The talent is already on campus and just needs to be organized. For example, I recently spoke to a coach at the University of Washington, which is a tech hotbed, and the varsity coach told me that there's a huge community, an informal community of gamers, and the university needed to catch up with the informal groups and needed to organize the program uh, into a varsity sport. Uh, computers, gaming chairs, headsets, the necessary equipment, it's all relatively cheap. Many schools also have sponsors contribute the required equipment. Some schools have stadiums and viewing ven venues, but most play online. It's easy to set up a fan-friendly facility. The second thing I mentioned was it's inclusive. Both men and women can play. You don't have to be six foot six and 240 and, or athletically gifted. Anybody can play and everybody likes to belong to a team. Uh, I cite as an example, there's a Netflix uh, movie, uh, sort of a low budget uh, documentary called The Long Green Line. And it's about York High School and Coach Joe Newton, who's won the uh, Boys Cross Country Championship in Illinois 20 years, 25 years in a row. He's got over 100 kids on the team, but only the top five count in the race. And all the others are part of the state championship team and take pride in their membership in the camaraderie. You don't need to be a star player to feel like part of the team. Quite simply, simply as with any sport, esports builds community. And last but not least, it's, it's inevitable. Whether you get on board or not, esports is coming. Some schools have embraced this, like Boise State and Harrisburg. Others are trying to catch up. You might as well join in and make it official, because if you don't, your students will do it anyway, and you won't have any control over it. So I think everybody just... Uh, has to realize it's coming whether they like it or not, and they should get involved. All right, so let, let's put a link for our listeners down below to the long green line. So Dan, as, as the leaders of these colleges, universities, the presidents, the boards, and others are contemplating to put esports into the programs based on all the benefits that you just mentioned, uh, lead us through some of the pros and cons that they're thinking about. You know, you're you sat in that chair, you were a board chair of a, of a university that maybe or maybe didn't contemplate this, but you certainly have that lens to look at. So, you know, what types of pros and cons do they go through this in this decision process? Well, certainly there are more schools that are looking starting esports programs, but in many cases, the administration doesn't quite understand it and they have reservations about getting involved. And there, there are certainly challenges out there. 
Um, a few of the things to be concerned about is, is this uh, feeling that it's toxic for women. There's online bullying or in an unfriendly environment where anytime people are anonymous and there's no rules of conduct. Uh, in other cases, uh, the administration and the school really can't figure out a clear line of responsibility and, and place where esports might fit in the university structure. Is it a sport or is it a club? You know, is it some are housed in the computer science engineering area, others in theater, arts, communications? Question, does the coach of the team report to the athletic director? You know, so different schools have different people involved and there's, there's really no standard approach right now. Uh, another big concern is what people, what's called FPS or first person shooter games. Preferred at the collegiate level is really the fantasy games because uh, obviously for obvious reasons, uh, people don't want shooter games. So many of the stereotypers, stereotypes about gamers or you know, nerds that spend their time in front of a computer screen in a darkened room. But, uh, you know, the reality, uh, by, you know, if you get a better understanding of gaming culture, administrators will be able to tackle these issues without much problem. They just need to have an open mind to uh, and get to understand the, uh, the culture. So obviously there's some, some challenges, some hurdles out there. Um, let's explore some of the positives. So talk a little bit about what you're seeing with regards to recruiting and retention efforts. I mean, how are schools using some of these programs to really embrace, I'll call a new demographics of students or maybe capitalize on an existing demographic of students, uh, but basically get, uh, get them to stay along a little bit longer with regards to retention efforts. Absolutely. Uh, there are certain schools that have a reputation for esports, uh, but they come in all shapes and sizes. Some of the best known schools for esports are, are very small schools that embrace the culture, like places like Maryville, Illinois, Wesleyan, and Harrisburg. It's, it's their community. But a lot of big schools are joining in because they understand the value of having something for the students to rally around, especially these days when traditional sports have been limited. Recruiting right now is, is really just a small part of the picture, but it's growing rapidly. And, and believe me, it's, it's just as competitive for top talent as with, uh, with traditional sports. There's a lot of demand from students for competitions. They're creating their own clubs and tournaments on campus. And it's a fairly inexpensive program to run if you want to use, say, intramurals. The, and more schools are looking at esports as part of their curriculum related to uh, education program and things like digital arts and communications, not only, necessarily only gaming related. And we've noticed a lot of the esports players are STEM students. And when you watch these students play, you realize the ones that excel at these games are very impressive mental and physical skills. Impressive. So, Dan, where do these students end up when they leave college? I and mean, what type of jobs are they getting? What's, what's that look like? And Maybe talk about maybe some of the auxiliary type of opportunities that exist in marketing and branding technology, as you mentioned. So what's the next step for many of these students? Well, esports are a team game. So if you have one good player, you won't necessarily be successful unless he or she learns to communicate and work with the others. So the game engages students in a way that they help them develop teamwork, which obviously is a skill that would contribute to success in their career and their life, regardless of what path they choose. So there's accountability among team members and sportsmanship, sportsmanship and camaraderie among players. All the reasons you have playing traditional sports hold true for esports. As esports continue to build out as an industry, and particularly within the collegiate ranks, you know what does that look like from an oversight 
position? I mean, how do how do school college universities start monitoring this as they do with some of their traditional sports programs? You know, we know we have the NCA out there that helps us in that area. We have all types of rules and regulations, safety for the students. I mean, let, let help us understand that from an esports perspective. Well, this is a very uh, hot topic of discussion these days. So I believe for esports to be successful, there needs to be a set of standards and rules, such as those set by the NCAA and traditional sports. Uh, the NCAA, however, has decided not to get involved with collegiate esports. Uh, they've cited things like Title IX issues and some of the first-person shooter games uh, reputation is some of the reasons. But you know, the reality is that the NCAA makes the revenue from media rights. And, and while no one owns sports like football and basketball, the publishers own the games that the esports players play. So there's an issue here because the games are owned by Riot, Psionics, and other publishers who also own the media rights, which is an important part of the equation. So the other consideration is professional versus amateur. Some kids are making serious money as pros while still in high school, for example. Example, you're probably familiar with the 16-year-old kid in Pennsylvania who won $3 million playing Fortnite. I mean, that's more than Dustin Johnson just won by winning the Masters Golf Tournament. Should that kid be allowed to play in college or not? The governing body of esports would be able to help determine something like that. There's a challenge to select the right governance structure because many of the companies trying to address this issue have a profit motive, which I personally don't think will work. When you have a governing body like the NCAA, you have a set of rules, but they're useless without a method of enforcement. So without the authority to establish guidelines, you have varying degrees of compliance. Nobody has figured it out yet. Until they do, there will be challenges. Let's just say uh, you have a professional esports player living in Santa Monica, California. He plays for a pro team, but he decides to take a free credit course, online course for school in Maine. You know, can that student be part of the college esports team? There are really no current rules that prevent him or her from doing that. So in my opinion, the NCAA rulemaking type of body needs to be driven by the schools and come from the top down. It won't work unless it is an independent body, not some organization with a profit motive. But this is still necessary to be sorted out and uh, stay tuned. Yeah, I think stay tuned is the right way to say it. You know, we know firsthand some of the um, significant compliance issues dealing with some of the traditional sporting programs. We work a lot um, here at Baker Tilly helping our schools understand those compliance requirements, working with the NCA and other governing bodies. And then in, in, in that, you mentioned, you know, for-profit entities being involved. You also mentioned television rights. So bottom line is a lot of cash flow going on with some of our even traditional sports. You know, any Saturday afternoon, we're watching major programs on football on TV. We know there's significant dollars there. So you, you've had some, some success in esports as well. So uh, tell the listeners a little bit about the TV exposure and the gaining popularity of the TV time for esports. For example, the Maui Esports Invitational was recently a large televised event on e, uh, ESPNU and ESPN2. And I know you're heavily involved with that. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think the uh, Maui Esports Invitational is a great example of, of, of what's to come and, and the way universities can really get involved with esports and, and raise their profile. 
Uh, basically, the, the Maui Invitational is, which most people are probably familiar with, is the premier preseason basketball tournament held in Hawaii. And this year, obviously, was in danger of being canceled due to COVID. Kemper Lesnick, which is the firm that owns the rights to the Invitational, wanted to host an esports event featuring the same teams in case the basketball was canceled. So I worked with them to line up the top college esports programs and have them face off against the top basketball schools like Indiana, UNLV, Texas, Stanford. And uh, we, we did this in a game called Rocket League, which is uh, the hottest new game in collegiate space right now. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. And uh, basically, it's, it's, it's soccer best described as soccer with rocket-powered cars. You really have to see it to appreciate it. The schools were excited to compete. Not only would they be able to earn scholarships, but uh, we lined up ESPN to broadcast the quarterfinals and semifinals on ESPNU and the finals on ESPN2, as you mentioned. Uh, it was great exposure for everyone, especially these smaller schools. But, you know, there's a lot of work needed to be done to get approval from Psyonix, work on the broadcast with ESPN, get sponsors, provide PR media attention. So it was a bit of a challenge to get the tournament together. And so we ended up, we invited 10 top esports teams. We had the eight basketball teams, and then we ran a qualifier for East and West Coast. Uh, we had 40 teams participate in that, and the top two went on to the, you know, in the 20-team uh, group stage, went to eight-team bracket uh, for, from there. So uh, we did an online broadcast semifinals last Friday night. It was the number one stream on Twitch. We had over 52,000 live viewers. Uh, we had over 390,000 total viewers that watched the broadcast and the replay online. We're not, that's not counting any of the ESPN audience, and I'll actually get those numbers later today. Production values were terrific, up to par with any traditional competition. Exposure is great for the schools, and the sponsors were really happy with viewership numbers. Uh, there are certainly challenges as one team dominated, and there were you know, a few uh, gripes about them uh, you, maybe using professional-level players. But you know, overall, the schools were thrilled to be part of it, and uh, it was great to have some national exposure for the kids. Yeah, that sounds great. It sounds like it really went off well, considering all the challenges that were there and a lot of work behind it. All right, so let's put this scenario on the table. Um, we have a, a, a school that's out there that, just uh, cut some of their traditional, one or two of their traditional sporting programs. So let's say they, they decided to remove the tennis program from the curriculum. And then all of a sudden on the next meeting, you're sitting there as the board chair of this, this university. In comes someone from one of the other departments and they want us now to invest in esports. And they're asking for, let's say a half a million dollar upfront investment in esports knowing that we just cut one of their traditional programs. I mean, how do you rationale all that in your head as a leader of one of these institutions? Well, as I mentioned before, it's really about building community. But, you know, the reality is esports are very affordable. You can put together a program for as little as, say, $25,000. You probably have a lot of the talent already at the school. And on top of that, a lot of esports pros are young and they, they don't attend college. So they're 18 and 19 year old esports pros that are you know, similar to young baseball pros who skip college for the major. So something colleges are doing, which I think is a great idea, is, is hiring the retired esports pros as coaches. I mean, the typical esports career pro career is, is over by the time you're 24 or 25. 
Some schools may even offer the coaches a scholarship to attend as a student, get their degree in exchange for their esports coaching services. These coaches know, know a lot of people in the industry, so they can help get sponsors who fund equipment like the chairs, computers, et cetera. But, uh, you know, a lot of students have their own gaming PCs anyway, which, of course, won't cost the school anything. So you really be amazed at the sense of community and loyalty that students have to the games they play. I recently heard an example when it comes to consumer customer loyalty. Uh, a gaming company executive asked a group of marketing professional, you know, how, how many of your customers have a tattoo featuring your product? And then he showed them pictures of hundreds of people with tattoos of gaming characters. You know, that's the kind of commitment these people have to gaming. And they rally around their teams. And so uh, it's, I think this is particularly important for small schools with small budgets that are looking to build a sense of community among their students. Another interesting aspect of, of esports is sort of this fandom. And, you know, I, I, I'll watch hockey games, right? But I don't play hockey. You know, just about every esports watcher also plays the game and they can understand and appreciate it at a different level. You know, we, we, I like to watch LeBron James play at a phenomenal level of basketball. The same thing applies to esports. People play the game, like to watch people play this at a high level. So at the end of the day, esports is here to stay. Um, let's jump, uh, let's jump into the future. What, what does this look like five years from now? What does it look like 10 years from now? I mean, are, um, are we going to go to our, our local bookstore instead of buying our football jersey? We'll be buying a, a jersey representative of our favorite esports team. Well, you actually can walk into some school stores right now, Boise State, Utah, Harrisburg, and, and buy esports gear. You know, one of the companies I'm involved with is called We Are Nations, and we're directly involved in the merchandising for esports team. And I can tell you that uh, both the pro and collegiate level, this is building every day. There's a huge fan base already at, at a lot of these universities. But as far as the future goes, one of the things is uh, right now, one of the criticisms of esports is the players are sitting in one place and not getting any physical exercise, even though you know, these players are extremely skilled and takes an amazing amount of expertise, extreme concentration, hand-eye coordination, and focus to be good at these games. But in the future, I think we're going to see uh, more games with physical activity using augmented reality and virtual reality. We're headed in this direction in esports, just like other industries are using these technological advancements to their advantages. So some of the things to look for are things like e-cycling or e-racing on a bike. You know, you're, you can race, race along the uh, Tour de France, you know, whatever you want. Uh, another one that we've seen is virtual dodgeball, which is a co-ed. It involves physical activity and competition. And all this will be good for schools and for the students. Dan, really appreciate your time today in, um, in discussing esports, particularly related to the opportunities, the challenges for many colleges and universities in this current environment. It's been very insightful and I truly learned a lot. And thank you to our listeners who tuned in to our Higher Ed Advisor podcast on eSports. We encourage you to reach out to discuss any of these topics, any of these questions you may have with eSports. To any of our Baker Tilly higher education team, we certainly can help you dive into it a little bit deeper. And stay tuned for future episodes related to athletics, physical resiliency, and other trending higher education topics. Thank you for joining us today. To receive notification when new episodes become available, 
please subscribe to Baker Tilly US wherever you get your podcast.